0: No, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine.
1: Perry, the guard heard. Here's the jump shot. Jump to Marley, a long three. He got him. He got him. Into Booker. Here's the three. Tuesday. Another Sir Charles, and he flies in for a wham bang, slam. bravo time. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the National Basketball Association and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing
0: good, Max. It's good to be recording on the back of a win for once. I'm excited to talk about that game, but also the All-Star stuff and uh, Book of Basketball pod that we were just talking about before we jumped on uh, to record this with Steve Nash and, and Bill Simmons, so... I think we can probably just get stuck right into this, Max.
1: Yeah, this episode's a bit of a miscellaneous potpourri episode, I guess <laughs> is the way I put it. We both haven't particularly loved the way the Suns have played lately, so we decided to do something that's a little bit different. We're going to uh, we're gonna talk about the leaderboards. So we will talk a little bit about the how the current team is playing. Yep. Um, but we're gonna focus mostly on picking our all-star teams. Our West and Eastern Conference All Stars should be fun. And there's obviously, you know, there's an obvious Suns tie in there too. And then, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about the great podcast uh, between Steve Nash and Bill Simmons about the 7 Seconds or Less Era Suns, in particular that uh, 2007 series against the Spurs. So we're excited about this one. It's going to be a little different today, uh, but we think it's going to be really good. Uh, but before we get into it, David, how about a recap? Yep, the Phoenix
0: Suns are 15-23 and 23 after 38 games in the National Basketball Association, as you said, Max. We were three games this week, and we went 1-2. and two. Uh, with a Charlotte game today, I believe, uh, by the time some people will be listening to this, it will probably already be run and won also, hopefully, by the Suns. But not much else to report. We're, we're pretty healthy roster-wise, other than, obviously, Frank being out indefinitely at the moment. Uh, but the lineup change was probably the big news of the week. Did you have any initial thoughts on that one, Max?
1: It was really interesting. Um, I get what they're doing. They're trying to go back to what was working for them earlier in the season. Yeah. Uh, as predicted, it was a little disruptive to bring back Aiton. I will get to him. I think he's been encouraging in some ways, not in other ways. But I think they just try to go with something that was working for them previously. I still think, and I know you agree with this, that it should be Uber and Mikkel at this point mm-hmm. starting. But uh, I, I prefer this to what was going on before with the two bigs, I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I probably agree with that sentiment. I, I know there was a little bit of outrage. Uh, I actually watched the Orlando game on replay and uh, only caught about five minutes of Twitter around when the Suns announced the, the starting lineup. I, I saw a lot of confused people, but I wasn't one of them. I, I thought, as you said, you've nailed it on the head there. They've just gone back to that uh, hot starting team uh, now that they're fully healthy, and you know, there's no better kind of bench bonus sub in guy than DeAndre Ayton right now, and uh, you know they played the 48 minutes together that I've been hoping for so long to get out of the center position, and you know, I think Ayton was still you know 30 of those minutes, so they're going to go up and down as the two are, are playing. If if Bain starts out hot, maybe plays a little bit longer, but. Uh, I I didn't go straight to this on Twitter, I I kind of had a, a very confusing tweet that didn't get a lot of traction, probably because I was trying to avoid some words like earn it, but... You know, it is probably the first time in Aiton's career where he has to earn something and and not have it gifted to him, you know, with the results coming later down the track. So I think, you know, for all the nitpicking that we've done at at Monty and James Jones around his development, I think this is a a, a progressive move uh, that kind of will hopefully get the best out of DeAndre going forward, Max.
1: Yeah, I agree. And he still closed the game. And as you mentioned, he played a lot of minutes, way more than Bain, so... A lot of this is just form over substance. I think he's still going to play the majority of the minutes, but I agree with you. I think it's a good move for him uh, at this current stage. And, and you know, if Aiton just starts absolutely tearing it up, as we'll get to with him, uh, encouraging in some ways the offense is still not great. If, if he can really, you know, change the way he's playing a little bit, and, and as you said, you know, you don't want to say earn it, but really that's kind of what we're reading here, to earn it. Yep. Uh, then I'd love, that would be awesome to get him back in playing like that, make him a starter again, and then, you know. Take off from there.
0: 100%. So there was the loss to Memphis, guys, 114-121, and we wasted another uh, book performance who had 40 points in that one. The loss to Sacramento, I should say, 103-114. Again, Booker had 34 in that one. And then the win against Orlando, 98 to 94, the least amount of points that we have given to a team this year, even though it was the very short-handed Orlando Magic. Uh, Book had 24 and five, still top scorer, although not the lofty heights of the previous couple of games. Uh, Rubio had 11 and 10. Ubre had 22. And Aiton, who we were just talking about, had 13, 9, and 3. So I don't think there's any secret who all of our five stars are going to go to this week on the back of those performances. But uh, to round this one out, we're third in the division, uh, half a game in front of Sacramento and and 11.5 games behind the Clippers. 11th in the conference, equal with both Portland and Minnesota, and 19th in the NBA, again tied with Portland and Minnesota, Max.
1: Yeah. uh, All right. I guess we can just get right into the leaderboard then, huh? Let's do it. Um, As you mentioned, uh, five stars, no surprise with me. I know you're going to have the same guy. It's Devin Booker. Uh, We're going to save a lot of our discussion on him for the all-star conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do just want to focus on what he did uh, in that Orlando game. Uh, I mean, that, that was headed towards being like our like maybe like our fifth horrible worst of the last season uh in the past <laughs> month yep um but he changed it he changed the entire game uh the two threes back to back with the steal in the middle and then good defense on the one after the second three the possession after uh he was just great it was probably the best he's ever looked uh, on an NBA court for four straight possessions
0: Yep, and and kind of the whole game, you know, as I said before, I didn't have to watch emotionally live, so I could kind of stop mm-hmm. things and and pick things apart and he started off a little sluggish against Fournier who, you know, had a lot of points himself in this game, but there was, you know, several key defensive moments throughout the whole game and he was, you know, the effort was definitely there chasing him around screens and stuff. So it was really good to see that rewarded at the end with, you know, some big plays, but As you said, we've kind of prioritized winning with the the voting here. So, you know, that performance alone probably would have got him five stars. But even over the three games, 32.7 points, 57 from the field, 37 from three and 97 from the free throw line. It it was a pretty incredible week for Devin and uh, well worth five votes. But as you said, we can um, gush about him a little more a little bit later and, and move on to four stars, Max.
1: Yeah, we'll say it ain't his fault the Suns are not playing well right now. (laughs) We can say that. Uh, Four stars. I had Kelly Oubre. This is another pretty easy one for me. Been a bit up and down, but uh, I think uh, the ups have been enough for him.
0: I agree with you. And I guess just to tease what you mentioned before about maybe him and Mikhail being the best starting lineup together, Uh, he had 8.3 boards per game. And I thought he really stepped Mm -hmm. up in kind of that facet of the game, protecting the paint. Are getting those boards and are helping out the other bigs. So, uh, you know, he would be the power forward in my mind in that kind of lineup. I know a lot of people, um, you know, would expect Macal Bridges to be the power forward, potentially, you know, particularly with the way he's been playing offensively. But, um, you know, you kind of tit for tat on that one. But, you know, Ubre would be the power forward in that lineup for me. But, yeah, I agree. 18.7 points per game over this week. So he deserves the four max.
1: At three I don't know if he totally deserves this, but I want to reward him for accepting the move to the bench and also for just playing much better defense than he ever has in his life. It's DeAndre Ayton for me, David.
0: Yep, and I agree with you. And I guess just to uh, start this one up, he still had 16, 10, 2.3 assists and two blocks. Uh, The defense you mentioned there, which isn't all blocks, but great to see him average two over the week. Had some key ones in the Orlando game, which I tried to highlight on Twitter. Uh, but he deserves it purely for the defense. And, and kind of mm. surprising, as down on him as we are offensively, he, he still had a pretty good week on decent efficiency. I think one game kind of skewed it both ways for him there in our minds. But uh, yeah, I think it's probably a, an element of showing how hard it is to give some of these lower votes at the moment, uh, with Booker being really the only great player on the team. But I think he deserves this spot, Max.
1: So do I, and just to uh, clarify here, because I know I'll probably get some hate for saying that he hasn't been uh, good offensively. The field goal percentage is fine, I suppose, but I mean, his true shooting is sub 53, which yep. is just awful for a big man. Yep. It's because he doesn't get to the line, and doesn't shoot threes. I mean, if, if you don't do those things, you have to just be so good, uh, you know, at, at the mid-range shots you're taking and the interior. He's got the interior stuff; he's great there. The mid-range just ain't working, David. Yep.
0: I hundred percent agree. Uh, the the towel on the mid range is not helping him at all. As well, I think I think it's really allowing mm-hmm. def- defenders to get up on him when they know he's going to shoot that mid range. He's noted it himself. He's noted many other things himself in the past and and not actually seen them through. So we kind of just need to see results. Although it was encouraging for him to say that he needs to get to the free throw line more. And there's little snippets. You know, there was one in the Orlando game where he went baseline. He actually ended up getting blocked. But again, Mm. results don't really mean anything to us at the moment. It's kind of the process and and trusting the process. So the fact that he's, uh, you know, he gave a little pump fake on the baseline and and kind of went baseline and tried to to stuff it on, guys. You know, even if it doesn't end well, uh, I'll I'll take that as progress at the moment for what we're uh, hoping we eventually get out of him, Max.
1: Yep, totally agree. And uh, just to give him one more compliment because I was just harsh to him there. Uh, at the end of the Orlando game, I thought his defense was excellent on the perimeter, not fouling. Yeah. Uh, Fournier and also, uh, I think, Felt, Fultz, too. He kind of got in trouble. Uh, he made Fultz have to make a bad decision to pass out and led the, to the Booker Steals. So, really good defensively, good stuff. Uh, that's what we want out of him. So, let's go to number two, David. I have Rubio. Um, just, you know, probably just the fourth best player of the week. I, I don't think he's been particularly good, especially shooting wise, but uh, he's carrying us from a playmaking standpoint.
0: Yeah, I disagree with you, but you know it's hard to hear. And I'll make a point when I get to my one vote on, you know, why I've maybe been a little bit harsh on the guy that you've mentioned. But I went with Mikel, again, just for defense mm-hmm. when. Uh, you're struggling around here for votes. You know, just on your note before with Aiton, how hilarious is it? But, you know, kind of encouraging as well that we, you know, won a game on the back of Booker and Aiton defense, Max. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'll take it. But, you know, he had the most kind of McHale line ever this week. Five points, four rebounds, one assist, two steals, one block. Uh, And that's Mm. kind of just what he's doing on a game-to-game basis at the moment, going a little bit under the radar. So I wanted to give him a a little bit of a shout-out because I just think defensively he's been awesome for a team that, you know, really, really needs that and his athleticism as well.
1: Yeah, he's my one-star player, so I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I think it was kind of a toss-up for me whether I was going to go Ruby or Mikel. Yeah. Um, God, I thank God we don't do six players for this because I have no idea who I'm going to take next. <laughs> or seven, um, you know, keeping the, the
0: number theme that we like to keep. I'm very glad we didn't go with seven. That would have been a mistake. Uh, <laughs> some
1: weeks we needed it, not, not this week. Yeah, um, But yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Mikel's been awesome, great defensively. I'm actually more interested to hear uh, your, your Rubio points.
0: Yeah, so I just didn't want to give one vote to Rubio or Baines this week just because I thought they were both pretty poor uh, throughout the week, when you really need your vets to to step up, you know we talked about how good Devon Book has been, and it probably only would have taken one or two other guys in those games, you know, stepping up and and playing to their, I guess, normal capacity, and we probably would have ended the week two and one or, or even three and zero. So I ended up going Rubio for one because I think one of those guys had to get the one vote unfortunately, because you know Cam hasn't played a lot, no one else has really stepped up, Frank's out. Uh, Saric, you know, didn't play, so it was hard to give him votes. Even though I thought he was encouraging in his game back versus Orlando, but mm-hmm. Romeo had nine and nine with two steals, shot thirty percent from the field on the three games, which is not ideal. But I guess he just shades Aaron Baines for me for for that one vote, and I think that just illustrates how thin we are at the moment. You know, everyone's talking about it. Some people want some of the young guys to play. Some people want a, a, a trade, I suppose. To uh, alleviate some of those deficiencies but yeah you you do this exercise trying to find our best players for the week and uh you know pull up uh the the three games from the week who played you you've got 10 guys uh you know tyler's not doing much cam's not doing much uh, i've already touched on dario there so you know they really need a couple of these vets to to step up over the next couple of weeks if we're going to get more wins max
1: yeah, they absolutely do. And, man, I think my thing with Rubio, and I was I was talking to Scott Howard about this, uh, not on Twitter, but in person, about how, like, for such a smart player, how is his shot selection so bad? <laughs> I don't understand it. Like, you think that the basketball intelligence that, that you know, permeates the rest of his game would it translate to shot selection, but it, it kind of doesn't, David. Yeah, the
0: the commentators, you know, to give, I'm not sure whether Eddie Johnson's the one that has been saying this. I, I kind of haven't been able to differentiate between the two on this Random point that's just come up, but you know, they've been touching on it a lot. Obviously, I I watch all the games, um, you know, over that the Suns broadcast, and you know, it must be so hard for a guy when you know you start the game and, and you just see that the other team's just willing to give you certain shots and. Uh, that whole kind of mind fuck of, do I take them? I know it's a bad shot, but they're leaving me wide open. I've, I've got to hit a couple to open some other things up. You know, it must be a, a real brain teaser to start games sometimes. I think he's just overthinking it a little bit much. And as you said, just being forced into some uh, really bad shots, which is not what you want to see from probably the, the smartest uh, guy on the floor at, at most yeah. times.
1: And I don't have a problem with the ones he's forced into. I don't have a problem with him shooting wide open threes. He has to take those shots. I have a problem with like the terrible runners he'll take sometimes, or the pull up threes. Like yep. you can't make those shots, Rubio. Stop, stop taking them. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know. Nevertheless, I guess that's just the way it is with him. Uh, I don't think he's going to change. He's pretty old now. (laughs) Yep. Uh, All right, should we move on to our all-star teams, Dave? I'm excited for this. I'll just
0: round out the leaderboard and and just kind of give a shout-out to a couple of guys who've already sent us their votes for that week that we just ran over Mm. before the pod is even out. Brian V and Amon, thanks very much to you both on that. And I'll check in with all our other regulars this week to see whether they're still uh, on board with us for the leaderboard now that we're back on track with that Max but yeah probably not too much more to discuss from this Suns team at the moment we we did the starting five stuff we did Ayton's play so yeah I think we can uh, move straight into a probably a more exciting discussion around the All-Star teams
1: let's start with the West here it's near or dear to our hearts um, I think that there are four absolute locks to start David I'm interested to hear if you agree I think that James Harden Luka Doncic LeBron James and Anthony Davis are locks to start the All-Star game what do you think?
0: Yep, I'd probably go even further with my fifth guy, but uh, I agree with you on those. We should probably, I guess, set the parameters quickly that uh, there, there's two guards and three front court players uh, for the starting fives that get voted in max. And then it's duplicated again, and then they throw two wild cards on the end there. So that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And as you said, Harden and Dontic for the guards, uh, LeBron and AD for two of the front court spots. Uh, and I'm ready to just throw Kawhi in there for the fifth uh, front court spot uh, for for my starters in the West in the All Star team, Max.
1: Yeah, I also have Kawhi. I think that there's an argument for Jokic, um, but yeah, I mean, you're not going to argue it at me. I think he is the guy. Uh, and if you look at the voting, he's definitely going to be it anyway. So it's kind of an academic point, regardless. But yeah, yeah Kawhi. The, the argument against Kawhi is the load management stuff. Uh, he's not playing as many games as some of the other guys are, but he's been so damn good when he played that I think he deserves it pretty outright.
0: 25-7-5 and, and on a very good team. It's pretty hard to, to not include him in the starters, I think. But, you know, this is always interesting. You know, we didn't, again, we kind of said we were going to do this and we both go away and go through our own exercises and, and don't talk too much to not influence each other too much. So this is where it gets really interesting with these discussions, I think. But, you know, I guess... Whether Kawhi's in the starters or not, you know, we both got there eventually anyway. But I'll throw this question at you. How many other, I guess, locks just for the All-Star game in general did you have? Because I had Jokic as well as a lock, uh, but I've really only got two other guys that I was willing to just kind of go, yep, I'm putting them straight in before I even look at any of the comparison numbers with any other players.
1: Are they Damian Lillard and Paul George?
0: They are not.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So those are the, I think Damian Lillard is a lock for a bench guard spot. Yep. Um, and I think Paul George is a lock for a front court spot, along with Jokic you mentioned. Who, who's your other ones? Uh,
0: I think Devin Booker is a lock. Uh, and again, I need to kind of differentiate between my opinion here and what will actually happen. I think for <laughs> the actual All-Star game uh, and the coaches voting, and we'll get into Booker a little bit more and, and why his case is so strong, in my opinion. But if it, it was me, I would be penciling him in straight away. And even though he's missed a lot of games, I would also put Carl Anthony Towns in as a lock for the All Star game, just on the basis of what he was doing. 26 11 and four shooting, you know, just ridiculous numbers from three. That That's an All Star for me, Max.
1: Towns is not on my team, David. Ooh. I have him as the first cut solely because of the injury stuff. In fact, if he comes back and starts playing soon, then I think I'll, he'll he'll move in from uh, in place of my last guy, who we'll get to. But man, he's just missing a lot of time right now, David. And the Timberwolves under the tailspin, and it just all leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I think
0: we're what I think we're a month, maybe a little bit less than a month from the game, and and probably twenty days or so from when the coaches have to pick the team. So maybe yeah. even less than that, actually. So you're probably right. The, he needs to be back very soon, and probably. Uh, Re remind some of the coaches who are the ones that you know actually pick the reserves here, uh, that he's there with his hand in the air saying, "Pick me, pick me," because uh, yeah, I think you would agree based on stats, a hundred percent for sure. But there's always going to be this with with some of these guys. You know, where do you set the games played mark at? Um, I think he's played around twenty three or something out of, you know, what did I say earlier in the show, the Suns have played thirty eight games. So, you know, a little over half. So whether you personally think that's enough or not and, and what level they have to play at for it to be
1: enough, I suppose is uh is
0: the decision.
1: Yeah, and if his team was playing better, even when he was healthy, it would be easier for me too. Mm-hmm. But they even before he went down, they were not playing well at all. Um, so let's go ahead and do let's do the rest of our front courts before we do everything else. I think the guards the more interesting thing for yep. us here. Um, we mentioned Jokic and George. My last of the front court spots that's not wild card and uh, related is Rudy Gobert. David.
0: Yep, and I agree with you on that. 14, 14, and two uh, on a resurgent Utah Jazz, which I mm-hmm. think helps his case as well. If they were still struggling. Uh, and there's another guy that we'll probably talk about at some point in Donovan Mitchell who would might steal a lot of the Utah Jazz votes. It's always really interesting how people look at this. You know, when you listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff about this, there's always those discussions around teams that have to have two players because of their record and things like that. But, uh, you know, and then teams that just have really good records that have to have, you know, one, you know, OKC is a great example right now where some people might just throw a guy in because they've been so good and they you know, think that they need to have one all-star in the team. So uh, at the moment, I agree with you. I guess where we differ is I've got uh, Towns as one of my front court spots, but uh, I agree with Jokic and Rudy Gobert for the last two spots in the West Max.
1: Just to round out on Gobert, Utah's way better with him in the on-off stuff, especially defensively, mm-hmm. won't be surprised there. Uh, he's probably the biggest part of who they are and why they're, why they're good. His defense, yeah. uh, at least in the regular season. We'll see if it can translate in the playoffs for once this year. Uh, RPM also loves him, he has him 12th in the league. Uh, he's just a really good player, David. It was easy. Uh, let's move to our guards. I like I said before I have Lillard as a locked to make the team. Did you? Where, where's Lillard for you?
0: He's my second guard spot. I just didn't have him, okay. you know, highlighted. I I had to look at him versus a couple of other guys that we'll get onto for the wild card spots before I actually put him in there. But yeah, when I looked at the numbers, still having a you know incredibly great season, very similar to Devin Booker actually. You know, per 36, 26.3 points per game, seven point five assists. Uh, 44% from the field, 36 from three. He, he's having a, a Dame season. So, uh, yeah, I would slot him in, and I think a lot of coaches will too just because they tend to go with the, you know, multi-time All-Stars when there's a toss-up here. So, uh, you know, not to give anything away, but that, my last two guard spots there, Booker and Damian Lillard, Max.
1: I went back and forth on my second guard spot between two guys, one of them being Booker, just a lot. I, I had a hard time with this one. I ended up not having Booker as my second guard, David. He's my first wild guard. Okay. Uh, I have Chris Paul as my second guard, David. Ooh. His on-off is absolutely ridiculous. His efficiency is incredibly good. He Shout out to Zach Lowe. has been the best player in clutch this season. Yep. Uh, in scoring, clutch scoring, and also efficiency. And also, the Oklahoma City Thunder are really good, David. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are. And as I said before, when there's a team that's really good, it, it should give it away to you that you need to dig into why they're really good and, and who might deserve uh, the all-star spot. I think, you know, he really struggled with me, I guess, you know, I think we'll get to it in a minute with the the wild card spots. You're not giving anything away here, but, um, you know, if I've got Booker and Lillard in my, my guard spots, I've obviously got a few choices to make with my last two wild cards. but, you know, he's been awesome. Statistically, if you just look at, you know, you do need to dig. I think if you just look at his, uh, you know, raw box score numbers versus potentially what he's done in the past to get all-star nods, I think a lot of people will write him off. But, um, yeah, I don't disagree with people putting him in there because I think, yeah, his impact on games, even though the numbers themselves, you know, points-wise and things might not be up to what we, you know, expect or come to expect from CP3. I I think his impact on that team and and just getting them all together and on the same page has been enormous.
1: Yeah, no, it absolutely has. I think you just have to attribute a lot of that 22 and 17 to him yep. on that team. Uh, and obviously, they've had really good performances. Gallinari's been good. Uh, SGA's been really good. Mm-hmm. But he's he's the uh, straw that serves the drink, proverbially. And I think <laughs> I'm rewarding him for that. Uh, I guess now's a good time to talk about Devin Booker, who has my first wild card. Yep, let's, let's have a little, guard,
0: right? little sidebar on Devin Booker for five or so yes. minutes, Max.
1: I'm going to run through his... Just kind of his, some of his raw numbers that I was loving? Yep. Uh, well, his raw numbers, are everyone knows, though. There's 26.2 points per game, 6.4 assists. He's 62%—62.7%, sorry, true shooting is probably his best stat. Uh, his efficiency has been otherworldly this season, especially for somebody who doesn't take threes. <laughs> uh, 93rd percentile in points for Shadow Tim. 98th percentile assist percentage. I love this one, David. He is 97th percentile in uh, three-pointers that are assisted. So when he actually gets the ball thrown to him for a three-pointer, he's 97th percentile on that, which I thought was interesting. Um, plus 2.3 on-off is not amazing, but his offensive on-off is 96th percentile. They're 11 points possession better with him on the floor. Uh, he's 11th in ORPM in the league. He's just a really, really good offensive player, David. He really is.
0: And I think, you know, my notes here on him is that we're kind of got into perfect storm territory. I think it's easily the best season of his career. I think if you compare yep. his numbers to last year, A lot of the stuff is very similar, but some of those key things you touched on and I'll I'll get into in a minute, uh, you know, there's just been the right upticks to to say that this is clearly the best, uh, you know, up until all-star break time that he's had uh, in the NBA. The team's obviously a little bit better, which helps. Uh, and there's a big opening for spots that haven't been there in the past. You know, we did this exercise last gotcha. year. Guys like Curry, Clay, uh, you know, when you get to these wild card spots, there's a lot of guys that can potentially go into two spots. So whether you're, as, uh, I guess, strong on him as, as myself, as putting him as a guard, or uh, you kind of, I, I guess, thinking that he's head and shoulders above some of those other guys for the uh, one of the wild card spots, I think, you know, it, it's a pretty obvious one. I think you could argue that he was just as good last year, as I said, but the efficiency uh, and the team wins, I think, will get him the, the all-star attention or if you start comparing him to some of these other guys like, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell, uh, even Lillard. I think his numbers stack up pretty much identical, as I said before. Team record is very similar this year, which hasn't been... Uh, you know, in his case, in previous years, and he's just blowing Lillard out of the water in terms of efficiency. Um, even though probably true shooting, you might have it in front of you. It probably, you know, evens up a little bit just because Lillard takes 9.3 attempts per game from deep versus you know Booker's almost half that, I think. But you know, you touched on it there: that 19-20 versus 18-19, 26 points per game still, uh, six and a bit assists. Uh, turnovers are slightly down, which is nice to see. Uh, 50% from the field instead of 47 last year, 36 instead of 32. True shooting, as you said, 62.7 instead of 58.4. And PER is is pretty much the same if if that's your jam as well. But I looked at Phoenix's record at this time in the last three seasons, which I guess is uh, the window where Booker could have been an all-star, I suppose, Max. We've got 15 wins right now. Last year, we had 10. The year before that, where he wasn't really on the radar, we actually had 16, which surprised me a little bit. And then in his second year, which I guess was the first time he uh, came onto the scene, I suppose, as a a scoring option, but wasn't even close to the All-Star game, uh, we had 12 wins. So, you know, as I said, perfect storm. I think it's all kind of coming together for Booker to get his first uh, All-Star spot, Max.
1: I think he'll make it too, and I I see a clear drop off after him yep. uh, to the second wild card spot. I think it was for me, it was tough between Paul and Booker, but after that, like it's just it's not hard to differentiate these guys. Uh, the thing on Lillard and Booker that I would I would say is probably the biggest differentiator is the fact that uh, Lillard has seven point six assists and two point eight turnovers versus Booker's what he's at six point four and three point eight turnovers. Yep, there was, was a, the turnovers. It's yeah, the biggest
0: thing. There was a graph going around on on Twitter yesterday, essentially showing that. Booker's the best passer and the worst passer in the league at the moment in terms of you know, yeah. potential assists, but also you know turnovers and things off off bad passes. So yeah, I find that really encouraging. I guess you could take a whole bunch from that, but you know if he's showing that kind of you know, 98th, 100th percentile on the good stuff uh, and can eventually cut the, the bad stuff out with repetition, which, you know, this is still a new role for Booker, you know, not something he grew up doing. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah, just as another sidebar, I find that, that really encouraging. Before we move on to the rest of the West, just to gush over Booker a little bit more, I wanted to bring up my uh, franchise scorer theory that I've been tracking with Booker really quickly and then ask you a couple of questions if that's all right with you, Max?
1: Yeah, sure. I just want to real quick agree entirely with your point about uh, Booker's play being encouraging. Yep. I, I mean, I, he needs to cut down the turnovers eventually, but I think he will. And also, a lot of the turnovers aren't his teammates. To be honest with you, <laughs> yep. uh, they just get scored against him, so I'm, I'm, that's not a big problem for me. It's just the reason why I have lowered above him.
0: Yeah, that's that's totally fair. But yeah, you'll always take him showing the good versus hoping that it'll come later. Uh, you yeah. know, and then cutting out the bad. I think that's always much easier with a young player, but onto the franchise theory, you know, I've said it a few times on the pod and and online. I think Devin Booker could be, the all-time leading scorer for the Suns before his second contract is even finished. And this is why, Max, he's currently, uh, or just before the Orlando game, he was on 6,712 points. The record is Walter Davis with 15,666. So that's a difference of just shy of 9,000 points. In his first four seasons... He's, this actually surprised me, Max. He's played 84% of games. So as much as we've talked about him being injury-prone, playing most of this season in a you know relatively small sample size, it's not like a 13-year career or anything yet, over four and a half seasons, he's played 84% of games, which is 313 uh, would be left if you take that 84. So before the end of his contract... Sorry, I got a bit confused there. Before the end of his contract, there'll be 373 games Take out 60 of those just based on injuries and things, and you've still got 313. Uh, Over the last three seasons, I've I've taken those kind of early seasons out because he wasn't playing as much. He's averaged 26.5 points, so I think we can use that as a a rough barometer of what he's going to be as a scorer in the league. You times those two against each other, 313 over 26.5, you get to 8,000 295 so a little shy of our 9000 target max but one hot season uh you know like you predicted scoring 30 points per game or something like that and this is very much in play
1: yeah, that was a lot of math, but I agree with the, the conclusion of it. Uh, def- and I think that you know it's conservative to have him scoring that amount of points. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. So you know maybe a yeah. maybe
0: offsets a, a season where he misses significant amount of time sure. as well. Maybe the eighty four percent is a little bit kind to him with what we've noted with his injuries. But you know, gun to your head, does Booker see out his five years in Phoenix? Is the first question, Max.
1: Oh, God. Well, that's not a fun question, is it, David? (laughs) Um, Gun to my head, no, he doesn't. I really hope I'm wrong about that. Uh, Just the trend with young players lately, uh, this franchise's recent track record is not good. Yep. Um, And if I put a gun to my head, I have to say that, David, (laughs) but I really hope it doesn't happen.
0: If he does, will he be Phoenix's number one scorer at,
1: I think it'll be 27 years of age, which is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I would say yes, because if he's still here through the rest of his contract, it probably means things are going well, right? Yep. (laughs) So he probably isn't having horrible injury season. The Suns are probably at least a playoff team consistently. So if that's all happening, then yeah, I don't see why not. He's he's the most talented scorer we've ever had, David. He really is.
0: And I think this is going to be something as long as he was on the team that I'll be tracking. But let's finish off the Western Conference All-Stars here, Max.
1: Yes, the last thing I want to make on, on Booker here is uh, sort of a similar thing to what you were just talking about, which was, I don't know if you saw the Cody Hunt tweet. It was going around, like, listen the 15 best sons of all time. I did, yes. Um, my only criticism, I thought it was a good list. My only criticism of it was actually just Booker not being high enough. I think he had him 15th. Uh, if you are going based on how good the player actually is, I think Booker is probably a top five player in sons history already. Uh, he just hasn't had the longevity yet. So uh, just, just raving on him there, uh, that... In case anybody thought I didn't like Booker because I didn't have him as a, a guard, I have him as a wild card. I very much like Devin Booker. The fact that he is where he is right now at his age is amazing.
0: I think off the top of my head, if you asked me to do a, you know, Mount Rushmore of of my favorite sons uh, of, you know, since I've been watching, I think mm-hmm. Booker might take the fourth spot, Max. So yeah, yep, I, I too, very man. much agree with with that point. I would have him much higher than
1: Cody did for sure. All right, let's go to our last... Actually, you haven't done either of your wildcard spots yet, have you? So maybe you should do your first wildcard spot.
0: Yeah, I'll set it up here. I think you've mentioned CP3 and you've also mentioned PG. They were in uh, consideration for me here. And I also had Donovan Mitchell and Brandon Ingram as my other two options. Is there any other names before I get into it that you, I guess, were considering for these wildcard spots, Max?
1: Nope, you named all the ones that I really looked over. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I wanted to try to reward somebody on Memphis, but just no one quite deserves it. Uh, you know, Morant and Jaron Jackson, I guess, are the closest, but they're just you didn't they're want not to, quite didn't there. didn't
0: want to give it to Brandon Clark?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give it to Brandon Clark, David. I just couldn't. Even even with my love, I couldn't rationalize it.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. For me, it and it, it may not go this way because they are wild cards and you can kind of you know, do whatever you want with them. And, and you know, coaches might do that. But I kind of looked at it as kind of Mitchell versus CP3 and then Ingram versus uh, PG13, uh, who I know you yeah. you had much higher up, I think, as a kind of lock on the roster. So uh, I ended up going Donovan Mitchell over CP, uh, but I very much agreed with what you were talking about. And I think the coaches could too, but yeah, I think just looking at the numbers, uh, I kind of had Booker, Lillard, and Mitchell all in a group together, where Mitchell fell to third out of those three guys, and therefore I rewarded him, I guess, with the the last wild card spot. Max.
1: Yeah, I had done of Mitchell as well as my final wild card. Uh, his on off is actually kind of even better than Booker's in a lot of ways. Um, and it, his, it's uh, carried
0: carried them when you know Conley's been both bad and injured. He, he's been... And
1: I think that's part of why his on-off is so good, yeah. especially offensively, because they don't have a whole lot else offensively. Uh, it's similar to what Booker was like last year. Uh, his on-off was just sur- surging because everyone else just couldn't play offense at all. Yeah. And I mean, Booker's still really good, in that, partly for that reason, but it was even more drastic last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about Mitchell, still sub-56% true shooting, mm-hmm. which I don't love. He still takes a lot of bad shots. He's not super efficient, but... He also is a much better defender than a lot of guards in the West especially Booker. Yep. So that that helps him. I think he's a he's a, he's a very deserving uh, wild card.
0: Yeah, I think just you know not to start a, a riot about Devin Booker versus Donovan Mitchell, but I think particularly this season you look at the numbers, you you've really got to overemphasize defense and team record I suppose if you're going to try and argue Donovan Mitchell over Devin Booker this year cuz you know you look at those numbers particularly from an efficiency standpoint it's just not even close.
1: No, it's not, uh, and this is kind of a dumb point, but they were my first and second pick on our Sun Twitter fantasy league, David, and I'm with the best team in the league, <laughs> so uh, what does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> they can coexist. Um, real quick, I'll just you mentioned Brandon Ingram. Yeah. His odd-off numbers are actually pretty bad. Yep. Uh, deserves a lot of credit for improvement. He's definitely way better than he ever has been before, and the fact that he's even in this conversation is impressive. He's showing the potential to be here, you know, many years going forward, Mm -hmm. Um, but just not quite there for me. Uh, And then we already mentioned Towns. Towns is going to take Mitchell's spot if he comes back anytime soon for me, but if he doesn't come back at all, uh, it's Mitchell's.
0: Yep. I'm really glad that you mentioned Brandon Ingram there, because I was going to throw you a question just about what you've thought about his season so far, which you've uh, answered in advance for me there. So that is great. Mm -hmm. But uh, I went the other way. I went pg over Ingram, when I when I say the other way, I mean, you know, I kind of gave Mitchell the the nod against the more veteran guy in, in CP, uh, and I didn't want to double down on that here with my rule. So I went PG over Ingram for both that reason and then what you just rattled off in terms of, I just think, you know, if you look at the numbers, PG's just been better than Brandon Ingram uh, for the season so far, and, and he's on a better team as well. Uh, I guess I was just doing probably what you were doing with Memphis and trying to give New Orleans a a player in the All-Star game just because when they have been fit and healthy, they're, I think, showing to be a a really good team. But, uh, you know, overall they haven't been healthy and therefore the record is nowhere near as good as it probably could have been and and therefore it's a lot easier to uh, remove any Pelicans from the All-Star game. So that's where I ended up with, with my whole team, Max.
1: Yeah, I wish Drew Holiday were having a better offensive season because I would love to put him on the team. I uh, he awesome. was
0: he was on my list. I you know I was gonna throw out other names that I just considered or, or looked into, and uh, yeah, he definitely doesn't deserve to be in it based on on his play. But I wanted to yeah look into what he'd been doing purely because I, I would have loved to have squeezed him in. That's for sure.
1: One point I guess I'll just make generally about why I had George as such a lock for my team, and Lillard to some extent too is I, I do default to just who the players I know who are good. Yep. Because it's a pretty small sample size still, even though it's been about half a season, it's still small compared to you know the longevity of these guys' careers. And I just you know I know Paul George is a freaking Terminator, so he's on my team. <laughs> and and so
0: many people, I don't know how many pods or, or articles you've looked at around all star selections, but so many smart people that are involved in this process of you know, mentioned either themselves for their own rationale in voting as, as media members or or, you know, a window into the coaches as well. They just tend to go back to guys that have been in the all star game or, or big names yep. when they're trying to toss up between, you know, a couple of guys, which I think we should note is, you know, where we still need to be worried about Devin Booker, particularly with how the Suns play up until when that voting has to take place, because you know, if you're not as strong on him as I guess I am in putting him in that first guard spot, he's going to be in those toss up conversations and he he doesn't have an all star selection next to his name. So uh, if someone's left with, say, Paul George versus Devin Booker or Lillard versus Devin Booker, he's, he's probably going to lose out nine times
1: out of 10 in those conversations, Max. Yeah, he's being graded on a curve because no one watches the Suns. So he has to be really, really good. He has to be better than other people by a significant amount, not just better than them, in order to make the team. And I think he has done that so far, and it helps when he has moments like the Orlando game. But, you know, guys like Paul George can have moments like that, and everyone watches it because it's on TNT. Devin Booker against Orlando on a Friday night, like no one's watching that game. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it went viral on Twitter a little bit, and that's where people see it. But, I mean, the sad reality is the people who vote on this stuff, not all of them are doing their jobs Correctly, mm-hmm. not all of them are paying attention to the entire league. A lot of them are just, you know, local guys or, or whatever they are. Exactly. So, I, well, I guess, I guess, and I, you know, I guess the coaches, all, the coaches, also. In fact, and then this is—I don't know if this is a point we want to go into in depth or anything, but I'm not sure the coaches should be the ones who are picking the reserves. To be honest with you, <laughs> uh, I don't know if they put their full energy into that kind of thing. I don't know if they care all that much, and I think they do just kind of default to guys who are winning teams and who are well known. Um, so that's that would be my biggest concern when it comes to Evan Booker making the team. Uh, but the the other, the other half of this is that every single year there are replacements and injuries and stuff, yeah. and it's hard for me to imagine Devin Booker not at least making it uh, in that conversation. That's a good point; definitely worth bringing up. I guess just
0: on the voting, you know, they do throw it out to I think over a hundred media people. Obviously, the fan vote picks the the starting five, but you shouldn't see any, mm-hmm. uh, you know, too, you know, bad of things in, in those selections. But you know, there is an argument there. You take away from the the big pool of, of people, and and actually maybe um you know elect a committee or something of a a small amount of people that you know it's their job to make sure they Mm -hmm. watch enough games to pick these things because yeah you're right there's a a beat writer for Oklahoma City for example who you know just watches uh his team play against you know these guys and, and doesn't dig too much more so if Booker has a quiet game against Oklahoma it's very unlikely that he's going to be on the radar of that specific media member. So that is a, a problem with the the process overall. But, you know, the Suns can do Booker a favor here. You know, whenever the deadline is for these media guys and, and the coaches to put their votes in, you know, if they're sitting in the eighth spot or, you know, maybe ninth just out of the playoffs or something, the you know, there's going to be more than enough people that have that conversation that we just alluded to before of like, oh, wow, Phoenix is... You know, in the playoffs, you know they, they probably should have a guy in the All Star Game. Who are we going to give it to? Of course, Devin Booker. So you know, the the team could probably help Booker out a little bit here by having uh, a decent week or two. Uh, the schedule is rather soft, as we've been noting, particularly for the next week. So you know, maybe that's where they finally pay Booker back here, Max.
1: Absolutely, I think that's the key point here. I mean, back when they were seven and four, and Booker wasn't playing as well as he is now, even he was a lock. Mm-hmm. If you have a good team like that, you're you're a lot to get somebody in the All Star game, especially somebody like Devin Booker, who I think I think a lot of people want to put him in the All Star uh, game because he's clearly like, an All Star talent. It's just the the winning thing is the biggest problem with him. So totally agree. They got to start rattling off some wins. Maybe uh, today against Charlotte, they'll get they'll get one. But uh, the last time we played Charlotte, they we barely won that game, and that was uh, kind of a steal. So. We'll see if they pay us back. But uh, anything else in the West All-Stars you want to move to, uh, did you know before we get to the East? Let's do it. Max, did
0: you know Devin Booker has never won four games in a row for his entire NBA career? This fun fact, or should I say rather depressing fact, was doing the rounds again this week on Suns Twitter, and therefore I thought a good topic of discussion for this week's segment. Phoenix have only rattled off three in a row this season and four last season, but unfortunately, Booker missed one of those games, so his career streak remains at just three. In fact, if you work your way back, you end up all the way in 2007 before you can even find a double digit streaking Suns team. In reverse order, all we've managed since the 17 18 season is two, three, three, six, six, four, four, five, nine, six, and 8 wins in a single season in a roo- in a row sorry so damn it's been pretty fun being a suns fan of the last Decade, Max. Another reason I thought it was a good topic of discussion, though, was because we're going to end the pod today with some thoughts on Bill Simmons' look back with Steve Nash and the Book of Basketball 2.0 pod that was out this week. Nash, of course, a member of the Suns basketball era that we grew up on and named our pod after, and also a member of the team that holds the Suns record for most wins in a row. Max. Want to take a stab at how many wins in a row that was in the 06-07 season? I know we
1: lost it to Minnesota. Am I right about that? Yes. Uh, I can't remember what the actual number was. I'd say 17.
0: Ooh, nailed it on the head. 17. Tied for 17th in NBA history books as well, with the Washington Capitals, Boston, San Antonio, Dallas, the Lakers, and Houston all having streaks of 17 wins as well. The top four streaks... In NBA history, for those wondering, are the 71-72 Lakers, who rattled off 33 in a row. Then, more modern times, the recent dominant Golden State Warriors had 28 in a row, even though that's over two seasons, which I think is a little bit of a stretch when you're talking about winning streaks, uh, followed by the big three in Miami, who had 27 in 1213 i believe it was my personal favorite that i remember quite vividly is the houston rockets in 2008 mm-hmm. rattling off 22 games in a row. But for
1: you and the without, listeners... Without T-Mac and Yao, right? Or at least
0: Yao were part of it. For a, for a much, much part of it, which is why I definitely remember it, Max. But for you and the listeners, let's take a quick look at the Suns' winning streak of happier times, shall we? So it was 2006 as I said, and the seven seconds or less Suns rattled off 17 17- in a row for exactly a month from December 29 through January 29. It wasn't the only streak of that season, though, or even the first. The Suns had already had a streak of 15 in a row earlier in the season. Uh, I've forgotten how how it felt to be... You know, so invincible for a while there, Max. It it was definitely a different time as a Suns fan. But the longest streak of the two began with the Knicks at home. And as you said before, was broken by the Wolves away. A team they'd been, they'd just beaten by 29 points just a few games earlier uh, for the biggest winning margin of the streak overall. The smallest winning margin, probably no surprise, was one against the Chicago Bulls, followed by two, both in numerical form and on the schedule against the Raptors. They had a wins of one and two points back-to-back in the middle of the streak. But to finish the little look at the streak off here, I tweeted this earlier. The current Suns have had a double-digit lead in nine of their 14 losses in the current season. Hard to believe, I know, guys. But Max, can you guess how many times in the 17-win streak we ended with a double-digit margin at the buzzer?
1: Mm, interesting. i would go with 10. It was also
0: 9. I, I kind of tricked mm. you there with the numbers. But uh, 9 of the 17, not bad. They were blowing teams out, which is no surprise. But the other topic of this pod is, of course, All-Stars, Max. I'll round out things on that note. In 06-07, NBA All-Star Game took place in Las Vegas, Nevada on Feb 18, shortly after the Suns' streak had finished. Interestingly, the last time it was held in Vegas, and according to another podcast I listened to this week, we shouldn't expect it back there anytime soon. Apparently, it was a bit of a disaster behind the scenes, Max, uh, but for those streaking Suns, we were represented by four people in that game. They should be pretty obvious to you. Any guesses on those four people, I'll say, uh, in the game, Max?
1: Uh, I didn't remember we had four people in that game. So I guess it was Nash, Marion, and Sotomayor, and then it was D'Antoni the coach. You nailed it on the head. I think he replaced uh, oh,
0: Avery Johnson, I believe, who couldn't coach the game mm. two years in a row. I think they, they take right. the, the best record team at, at the All-Star break. So uh, although Nash didn't suit up, Due to injury in the game, Marion and Stoudemire ended up with 47 points between them in a win for the West. And to finish with a customary number trick, Max, if you add sixth man of the year of that year, Leandro Barbosa, to the Suns' big three, you get the Phoenix top four scorers for that season. And if you add his 18.1 points per game to Nash's 18.6, to Marion's 17.5, to Amari's team-leading 20.4 you get 74.6 points per game from the Suns' big four. And Max, it is episode 74 today. So that's it. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about East All-Stars before we uh, look back at the seven seconds or less Suns a little bit
1: more, shall we? Very nice, Dave. you made my brain hurt twice this episode <laughs> so far. and uh, But you have not made my brain hurt as much as trying to figure out who the East All-Stars are made my brain hurt. Oh
0: man, this <laughs> this was tough and fun at the same time, Max.
1: It really was. So let's start with the front court starters. I think the the guards are interesting. Uh, The front court starters. I think Giannis is obviously a no doubter. Yep. Uh, Embiid feels like a no doubter to me as well. And then the last one's a little bit less of a no doubter. I went with Butler over Siakam, David.
0: Butler over Siakam. I would. Oh, I don't want to give anything away
1: here. But yeah, Butler for me. Butler for you. Okay. So let's do the guards. Uh, I think Kimba's the only one is a lock to start. Uh, the other guard position, I thought I, I just couldn't figure it out, David. I spent so long on it. I ended up finally going with Kyle Lowry. I kind of default into the good player sort of thing. RPM loves him. Yeah, he had a kind of a bad stretch to start, I think, but he's been really carrying them lately. So went with him, but it was not easy, David.
0: I cheated. Uh, I think you can cheat because of the way the positions work. I actually have Ben Simmons as my other guard, Max.
1: I don't think that's to cheat. I think that's actually where he's being listed. It, it looks uh, that I way. I did yeah. not have. I did not have him there. I think defensively, he's been unbelievably good uh offensively not quite as good although you know obviously the assists he has and there was a good point made on some podcast I was listening to that Ben Simmons' assists are better than most people's assists he creates them more <laughs> yeah um so I mean I, I don't hate that pick I thought about him for the second guard and honestly I, in the, if you have like seven west guards in the second guard spot in the east David it's hilarious
0: yeah it, it, it's just a um you know what you alluded to it at the top there it, it was so hard to find the guards here that uh I guess i lent my bias way, you know, he, he gets a lot of flack from people, which I think a lot of it, of it is just unnecessary. And uh, yeah, I think his season has been just as good as some of the other guards that we're going to get into here, uh, which probably says more about the, the conference all-stars than it does about him having, you know, an amazing season or anything like that.
1: Yep. Total agree. So yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Those are the next two guards. Uh, I had Simmons and then Beal. Actually, not in that order. Ed Beal is the third guard. Um, he's not a bad team, but the offense is really good on that team, and he's a uh, big reason why because he's a great up into player. And again, this is not easy, David. <laughs> it is
0: not easy at all. So uh, I had Trey and Beal in my two guard spots, uh, very similar seasons Uh bad records. So, you know, it gives me Devin Booker vibes, but you know, the competition isn't anywhere near as good as what Booker's had to put up with in the past when we've been hoping that, you know, he's going to get an all-star selection. So I kind of kept tossing back and forth on this, you know, I, I didn't want to give it to them because I, you know, felt angsty against, you know, these kind of things being against Devin Booker his whole career. But you know you look at the competition and, and just how good both of those guys have been. Uh, and, and I'm willing to put them both in the guard spots because they're, they're just having phenomenal seasons. I'm surprised, David. I thought uh, based on a tweet that you had that you were going to not have Young in your team at all. Well, again, this was the thing. I, I kind of wanted to be angsty. I, I'll put my hand up and, and mention that just because I think he's possibly the worst you know, starting guard in the league from a, a defense standpoint, I think I think it's really, really bad. I don't
1: think it's even possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, you know,
0: you throw that in with the Booker discussion, you know, who got absolutely trounced for it in in his early years, and it, it still gets brought up. And team record as well is really bad. But the thing is, and we're going to get into it as we get down the list, you, you put the whole group together,
1: it's just impossible not to pick him, Max. Yep, I ended up and we'll get to him I'll go ahead and do him now. I had him as the last wild card actually. Okay. Um I, I put him in there. I don't actually you know what? Let's say this. I don't want to talk about the honorable mentions yet. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and move on to the forwards first. Yep. Or the front court players. Um I mentioned Siakam already. I thought he was the other lock to make it. Do you agree with that? I do.
0: Yes. He is highlighted here. The, the last one highlighted as a lock uh on my list
1: actually. Another guy, not quite a lock, but he's on the borderline for me given the, the state of the conference. Bam Adebayo. David, I think is definitely making the team and nearly a lock. And I'm with
0: you on this. Uh, I actually, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I've got him in there uh, and another guy that we'll talk about in a minute as well. Uh, not a lock. I, I kind of had to look into these guys before I, I wrote their name down, whereas Siakam I just you know wrote down right. with, without yeah. even looking because I just knew he was an all-star in my bones. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, and, you know, this is where it gets tricky with the pool uh, and what you've got to have because you mentioned Kyle Lowry before I really wanted to get him in there uh, and it just gets really hard you you know you had to pick one more or two more front court guys both of which that I've got I think are deserving but I probably would have liked to squeeze a guardian over one of them potentially max
1: yeah I mean I think on is easy he's just really good at everything now and he's having a breakout season and his team's really good yeah um, I think he'll make it too. Um, I actually thought the next front court player, when I actually dug into it, was pretty easy too. Uh, I'll give my case for him, and then you can tell me whether or not you agree. For me, Jason Tatum is just clearly the next front court player. Yeah. He is the uh, b- best on/off on the Celtics, uh, who are great. Obviously, uh, he's one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. Uh, they are way better with him on the floor, whereas the other guy getting consideration, Jalen Brown, they're way worse with on the floor. Yep. Like, he's the, actually the, Jalen Brown wor- has the worst plus-minus rotation players. Uh, on Celtics. Uh, Tatum's also ninth in RPM, really high in Pippum too. The advanced numbers love him. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because he's an incredibly good team defender, David. I think he is too.
0: I think that side of the ball, he's been really good on. If you look at the raw numbers between the two, you might actually shade Jalen Brown. And I, I did for a, a large part of the season, I think particularly from three Jalen Brown has been you know, pretty good this year. So yeah. uh, there's definitely a case for Jalen Brown to be over it. This one came down to, and you might have to clarify for me here, but I think Jalen Brown's actually a guard and Tatum can be a front court player in the All Star game. Does that kind of ring true with you, Max,
1: when you looked at it? Yeah, it is. I didn't mean to imply that I had him over Brown position wise, just yeah. in terms of which Celtic deserves to make it in addition to Kemba, basically. Yeah,
0: cool. So I actually, yeah, I had Tatum here in my last front court spot. I, pro- If you really push me and gun to my head, you know, I would pick Tatum over Brown just in a, a one versus one scenario. But, you mm-hmm. know, that qualification of, of getting him into the front court actually got the nod for me more than anything else. Because I think Jalen Brown's just as deserving a, a, of an all-star spot as well, um, even though you make a, a good case for Tatum. But yeah, purely on having to squeeze another front court guy in there, I, I've ended up with Jason Tatum. So, maybe
1: this will surprise you that I have a front court player as my first wild card. Ooh. Uh, and that is DeMontis Sabonis. Yes. Who is also a plus minus all star. He's one of the best in the league at that. And a lot of him is actually coming defensively too, which is amazing. Uh, RPM has him 15th. He's averaging 18 points per game, 13 rebounds, and 4.3 assists, which I think is getting a little overlooked. That's a lot of assists for a big man. And he's at the 13 rebound mark. So, he's really been, the I think, Indiana's best player. Brogdon's been awesome too. But Sabonis has been, I think, really their engine. He's been great. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna flip. I'm gonna do it. I I really struggled with this one. I compared Bam and Demontis together. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, Bam just impact wise. I I think his numbers kind of come off the page a little bit. But you look at Demontis, like 18 points per game, 13 rebounds, 4.3 assists. You know, almost one steal a game. You know, pretty efficient. Doesn't shoot the three, but neither does Bam. When if you're comparing those two guys, you know, I I probably oversimplified it and, and kind of made it a case, you know, for one of the two of them. But you, you look at the pool as we've said, uh, and you know, I can probably cross my last wild card off here uh, and put Sabonis in because. Uh, yeah, I think he deserves to be in the All-Star game uh, based on the numbers I rattled off and the case that you've made for him as well. And again, I'm falling into that trap like you know, Indiana probably deserve an All-Star here and yep. uh, Boston already have one in Kemba uh, and Tatum as well. So yeah, I, I'm going I'm going DeMontis instead of, uh, I won't give it away, but I, I've cut a guy off my list
1: oh i'm interested to hear who uh who the unfortunate fellow is but uh yeah indiana i think in this case it make that, that argument holds true i think they need to have an all-star they've been really really impressive without oladipo um and you know the, given how bad the east is and how undeserving a lot of the all-stars are i think having demonis the bonus there is a, a worthy thing to do uh, i'll go ahead and do my last wild card because you've already had him on your team it's Trey Young. Uh, The defensive stuff's a problem. Atlanta sucks, but at the same time, he is 6 at ORPM right now. Mm -hmm. They are 6.6 better with him overall and 12.1 better on defense, so they are much better when he plays, at least. Uh, 28.9 points per game, 8.4 assists, 4.5 rebounds, 1.2 steals. Unbelievable. 9.4 three-point attempts a game. Uh, And they're hard attempts, David. I I know you watch Trey Young. He takes really hard threes. (laughs) Making 36.7% of them, so actually a little bit better than Booker uh, at three pre-pointer on harder attempts and a lot more. He's also jumped. I thought this that's the most impressive thing about his stats, actually. He's gone from 5.1 free throw attempts last season to 8.1 this season, David. Oof. That's like two over where Booker's at. And uh, all of this is being done on just under 59% true shooting. He is an offensive star, David.
0: I, I like to think that we're, we're kind of, you know, making good on history here with, with Devin Booker by putting Trey Young in the All-Star yeah. game. Because, you know, I've been relentlessly mentioning online how much I see similarities at the moment between the Atlanta Hawks uh, and the you know couple of seasons past of Phoenix Suns just in having one budding offensive star, not building around him properly, giving him nothing to work with. Him still going off offensively and and occasionally winning his team games, but for the most part getting frustrated at the fact that they just haven't built the correct team around him or giving him NBA players to work with. So, you know, I don't think it's all Trey's fault. He's doing everything that he possibly can. And uh, partic- particularly in this thin field, which Devin Booker, I suppose, never got the advantage of, he, he deserves to be an all-star.
1: Yeah, he absolutely does. Um, I'll quickly mention the guys that I consider to see if they're any of the guys you crossed off and then also whether they, they're you know, your other final guy. But uh, I consider Dinwiddie, Swinter Dinwiddie, yep. Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Devontae Graham, Jalen Brown. Uh, all those guys are you know good players. I don't think they're deserving all-stars really, but that's kind of just where we're at. Uh, but I mean, I just couldn't in good conscience put any of those guys over Trey considering how ridiculous he has not offense.
0: Yep, I had four guys for two spots here uh, and I've already given away one of them with, with DeMontis Sabonis. So I'll give away what, what happened there with the cut. I actually had Chris Middleton in my last mm. wildcard yep. spot. A- again, kind of, I guess, falling into that trap of uh, amazing team uh, needs a second all-star but it, you know is the question more just amazing team because they've got probably the best player in the league and the answer's <laughs> right you know probably yes so uh, Sabonis has taken his spot and then for me it was uh, Jalen Brown versus Kyle Lowry uh, and I had to get Kyle Lowry into the all-star game because I just think with the injuries that that team's had he's really stepped up I really expected him to take a drop off. I, I really didn't understand that extension that they gave him. Yeah. I understood it from a, a, a trade possibility standpoint, giving him another year, making him you know a more tradable piece if they needed to, but um, you know, maybe it just looks like it's a, a good deal right now. Cause Kyle Lowry is still an all-star in my opinion. And then yeah, Dinwiddie was the, the, the final name, which I just, yeah, I wanted to make sure we gave him a shout out cause he's been incredible with Kyrie Irving out, but I couldn't quite squeeze him in there, Max.
1: Yeah, Kyrie Irving, who is, I think, currently second in voting for the All-Star, so I really hope that doesn't end up being a thing. So gross. He should not be on the All-Star game. <laughs> should not be in the All-Star game. But yeah, no, I think that's right. I think Lowry, the way he's played lately, he's got to be on this team. Um, so I'm glad you had him on here. So I guess, wait, so do we have the exact same East All-Stars then? Uh, yes, I think we do. Wow. How about that? Uh, West. Was, I actually expected us to have the same West and not the same East. So that's pretty funny. There
0: you go. There you go. You probably you, you brought me over to your side just to – I should make sure I mention that. We, we didn't originally, so you were probably pretty smart on, spot on with your thoughts there. But, uh, yeah, a couple of those ones I, I really struggled with, and, and you were able to convince me over to the dark side, Max. Well,
1: the problem is there's just so many freaking players in the East who are like on this borderline bubble that you probably didn't even give uh, someone enough considerations because there's so many guys – and once you actually dive into it, uh, I think it's clear he should be on it. But uh, anyway, should we move on, David, to the awesome podcast between Simmons and Nash we talked about earlier? I think we should.
0: I'm excited. I really enjoyed the listen. I know you did as well. Uh, I think we both pretty much took a similar approach of just kind of, you know, writing down our thoughts as we listen to the hour and 20 or so minute conversation between the two. But I guess, to, I guess to tee it up, you know, Book of Basketball 2.0 is a podcast, uh, not Bill Simmons' normal uh, podcast that he does. It, it is an offshoot. Um, and if you aren't listening to that, uh, you definitely should be. I don't know about you, Max. I haven't listened to all the episodes. I kind of just see if it's a, a topic that, uh, you know, springs my attention and then I'll jump in. Obviously this one definitely got my attention and I jumped in. So, uh, what, what are your initial thoughts other than we should probably give a a little bit of a spoiler alert as well, if, if that hasn't already come up for listeners, if they haven't listened to it yet, Max.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'll just add on to what you're saying about the book of basketball. I I haven't listened to every podcast, like you have listened to some of the ones that are more interesting to me. And uh, I would highly recommend it. It's great. It's sort of like a follow-up to his a Book of Basketball I mean, not sort of. It's a follow-up to his Book of Basketball book. Yep. But I guess he's just so lazy now. He just wants to podcast instead of right, <laughs> which is fair. I get it. I would rather do that, too. So I think that's what's going on. But, yeah, we're not going to, like, summarize it or anything. We're just going to talk about some things that uh, we observed that were interesting to us. Uh, highly encourage everyone to go listen to it. Like you said, spoiler alert. Uh, go listen to that then come back to this. Uh, I'll go to my first point. I was really interested by Nash talking about how worn out he was every single playoff run. Yes. And it made me think like this load management thing that fans tend to hate, like that would have really helped the Phoenix Suns. They would have given Nash more nights off, don't you think?
0: A hundred percent. And if they actually had, you know, guys on the roster that could step up for that to (laughs) happen, you know, it was noted pretty much all through this podcast that they were pretty much playing a, a seven or eight man rotation through not just in the playoffs when you know everyone knows that rotations shorten and stuff. This was the regular season rotation yeah. for the Phoenix Suns. They would quite often only play you know eight guys a night because that's really all they had on the roster. It wasn't my first point. I, I wanted to you know before Nash was even on the pod. I, I just loved Bill's intro around you know being critically yeah. acclaimed. I just thought that was a um, you know a great little way to uh, set up the podcast before he even brought Nash into the studio. But yeah, I'll go back to your point before we, we touch on that a little bit more. I've got the quote here. I was always exhausted. Come the playoffs never found a different way to play with our backup point guard as well. So, you yeah, know, they, he noted that they tried to, you know, replicate the way they played with Nash with whoever was doing the backup minutes. And it, he was always exhausted as well. So they just came to the playoffs uh, it, like you, I thought about load management, but I went direct to Houston as well. You know, we've seen it with James Harden and then we've got that connection with Dan Tony and James Harden, you know, come the playoffs, he's already had a couple of series here where they might end up looking back uh, and, and kind of realizing that he was just a little bit, you know, physically, washed uh and not able to go another level i think nash kind of perfectly summarized this actually he said you know he noted a lot of the time through the pod that he you know in the game that he that bill made him watch that he just thought he looked physically (laughs) exhausted in that game but you know i think the way he said it was i don't have the quote here exactly but he said you know i wasn't not able to compete to the level that I was all regular season, but I wasn't able to go to another level. And, and that's what you want to do as a player and as a team. You know, you come to the playoffs, you want to take it up another notch, not just keep doing what you were doing for the whole regular season. I thought that was the most important point from Nash in terms of, you know, being exhausted because of the way that they played throughout the season.
1: Yeah, he also said something about the fact that he had to find like clever little tricks and ways to get himself the, the, the rest he needed yes. in order to keep performing at the level, which I thought was really interesting. And then another constant theme of the podcast, uh, which is probably the most depressing theme, is just how badly the Suns butchered everything uh, <laughs> from a from a team building standpoint that decade, and how you know they could not get a backup, like you said, who could not even not just replicate what Nash is doing, but just just be good. And do something, uh, and, and the killer one that, that it was clear Nash focused on a lot was the Rondo one. Yes, that was really at the forefront of his mind, uh, probably because Rondo could have actually replicated a lot of what Nash did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was tough. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and move on to because uh, I, I Phil actually been using this critically acclaimed label for a while, and I think it's really good. Um, he's, he, there's a couple other teams that he's mentioned. I think you know uh, in, in NBA history that have been critically acclaimed but never won. I think like the Reggie Miller Pacers maybe is one. But, you know, it's a great concept because, you know, we measure this stuff just by titles a lot of times. And Nash made this point, you know, it's hard to win. Only one team in 30 wins. So, you know, it can't be the only measuring stick for greatness. And the Suns, uh, they didn't achieve greatness through a title or even going to the finals. But they did did achieve greatness uh, by being everyone's favorite team during the uh, decade.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was an awesome intro. Uh, you know, he rattles off a lot of actors and and
1: other sports teams
0: and stuff in the intro. I won't give it away. I'll let people just go and listen to it if they haven't already. But you know, just being the the darling in retrospect, critically acclaimed. I I just thought it was an awesome setup. And you could do this question at the top here or at the the end of our discussion. But because you kind of mentioned it there and, and how much they talk about it throughout the whole podcast, I'll throw it at you now. A hard one right away for you, Max. Was it? The poor roster moves or was it all the bad luck? What what hurt the Suns more in retrospect in terms of not being able
1: to even make the finals, let alone win one? Such a good question. I think it's the roster moves because that would have eliminated the amount of luck they needed. I, just, some of the stuff, just we won't go over all of them, but the fact that they instead of uh, taking uh, Iguodala or Dang with the number seven pick right before the O four O five season, they just traded that for a future pick straight up. Like no one does that anymore. That's just idiotic. And that I mean, imagine they would have had Iguodala on his rookie contract the whole time. Exactly. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, the Joe Johnson thing. Like how do you not keep Joe Johnson? They would have been a force with him the whole decade. And then the other one that I had forgotten about that was such a good point was the Atlanta protected pick, the top three protected. They had the 2007 season, their best season, when they were at their best. They didn't trade it for an upgrade. Hmm. What are you doing? And then it ended up, you know, ending up uh, number three overall, and they didn't get it because of the way the lottery shook out. But if they just trade that pick for some of the guys, I think Bill Simmons mentioned were Rashard Lewis or Mike Miller, just somebody else to help that rotation, which was too short, like that would have made the whole difference, David.
0: I almost, you know, you could almost hear – uh, Nash's heart drop when uh Bill yeah. mentioned Rashad Lewis. Like I think he makes a, yeah. a little comment, but you kind of he just pauses for a second and then, you know, realizes how good Rashad Lewis would have been on those seven seconds or less Suns teams. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, the luck's always gonna come, even though they had it in spades during some of these spurts, particularly the oh six, oh seven season that they tend to focus on. But, you know, the other stuff's kind of within your control. Uh, I thought the pod actually Did a great job of kind of illustrating that Sava wasn't necessarily cheap through these periods, like he, you know, gets talked about in retrospect. He was just kind of young and dumb, if that's an easy way to put it. Like they just made really dumb moves instead of them necessarily being, you know, everyone looks at the selling of draft picks and things like that. But I think there was method to the madness in terms of trying to free up money for free agency signings. But then they just made incorrect moves there were a couple of you know cheap moves i definitely don't want people coming at me on twitter saying that i'm just kind of rewriting history but yeah as they went through the moves one by one as you said the rondo one comes up all the time i just think that they made the wrong move at the at the wrong time a lot of this time and i I love that the rondo stuff comes up a lot because kind of goes full circle with ryan mcdonough after this period as well, because, you know, he basically got his reputation off the, off the back of drafting Rondo for the Boston Celtics, Max.
1: Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> we could have that whole mess too, if we were just ta- uh, just taking him. <laughs> uh, uh, so I think you're right. Well, here's what I'll say. I think there is a lot of cheapness involved, but I also think that the level of incompetence just gets underrated. It, they, not all of the problems were because of, of them being cheap. A lot of them were just because they are just doing dumb things. Yeah. Um, so it's both, which is great. Uh, but I wanted to go into this point now since you brought it up. I, I think that maybe the most heart sticking thing for me of the whole podcast was the Kevin Garnett stuff. Um, the fact they didn't go get him because they didn't want to give him an extension is awful, David. <laughs> it really hurt me. Uh Kevin Durant if you put Kevin Garnett on that team with I think the trade would have been Marion not Sadamire. I think they would have had Sadamire still too if I remember correctly how it was going to go. Yeah. Um are you kidding me? Nash, Sadamire and Kevin Garnett? Can you imagine like a more devastating two uh, big men uh combo than Kevin Garnett and Amari Sadamire? With the way Kevin Garnett plays defense covering up for him. My Lord David.
0: It would have been it would have been perfect. I have two things on this. Literally uh my last note on my page, and I think it, you know, it wasn't at the very, very end of the pod. So clearly, I was just like depressed after this, and and didn't write any more notes as I listened to the rest of the thing. But it's literally Garnett, uh, sad face, because yeah, I ended up exactly where you were after that conversation. And the other thing that I didn't write down, but it has come back to me as you've mentioned it, I thought it was hilarious that Nash kind of admits that he called Garnett. Uh, And and Bill kind of calls him on it because he kind of brushes over it and and Bill being the great interviewer that he is, you know, sidebar, I think Bill in this setting on a podcast is just incredible. I think he just gets so much information out of people. So for all the bad stuff that I've said about his, you know, current NBA takes, I think this is his his niche, his his kind of sweet spot. He's just amazing at this, but he drags that out of Nash and then doesn't let him just kind of brush over it. But then he questions him on what the deal would have been. And Nash was just so hesitant to kind of almost admit that he probably knew that he was making a call to KG to trade away one of Stoddermeyer or Marion. And he could kind of just tell he was really uncomfortable with essentially just admitting that to the world that, you know, he went out of his way to try and uh, recruit KG, which, you know, as he said, was uh, always going to fall on deaf ears because he pretty much had to start the conversation by saying, you know, we're not going to be able to pay you what you want, so I know you you're probably not going to come. But if you did want to come, I just wanted to let you know that we would love to have you. But yeah, Nash is is not stupid, so he would have known that that was going to mean one of Stodimir or Marion uh, leaving. And I could just sense he was a little bit uncomfortable a- admitting that to the world, Max.
1: He absolutely was. Yeah, I think in that instance, he played dumb a little bit for that reason. But I think overall, it was really interesting to see how little he thought about that stuff. I think that's pretty common with players. I think fans think about team building stuff and draft picks and all that more than players do. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting thing to see, too. Um. And yeah, the KG thing, one last thing on it. It seemed pretty clear to me. I think you probably will agree with this. Like, that would have happened if the Suns were willing to pay him, right? Like, that deal would have happened.
0: It certainly seems that way. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I guess to even out what I mentioned before and probably the other point that I should have made is, you know, if you are a young owner, which uh, Nash did mention on the pod, you know, that Sava was pretty new on the job and, and that Nash himself mm-hmm. was kind of the first signing is, you know, maybe don't be involved, maybe hire some experienced yeah. people and, and let them do their job because that's how you, you make these mistakes. But yeah, on KG specifically, uh, it wasn't that they couldn't pay him. It's that, that they, they weren't going to. Uh, so, yeah, they they could have got it done, which is, a, a again, sad face, Max. That's all I'm going to say. Sad face.
1: Yeah, Nash said over and over we couldn't do it. It wasn't that they can't do it, obviously. They didn't want to pay the luxury tax, yep. which, fine. But at the same time, Jesus Christ, Kevin Garnett, why don't you go win a title? <laughs> uh, all right, the next point I have on this, which I think maybe was the thing that was the most interesting to me on sort of like a macro, not even the Suns level, is just how often the theme of, like, it was so obvious the Suns should have been playing more, like, 2020 teams play. It's so obvious to us now. Like, it was to Nash and Simmons when they went back and watched that game. Mm-hmm. But no one was really thinking that way back then. No. And it's it's sort of like a broader human progress thing, right? Like, uh, I hesitate to uh, go into politics at all. But the fact that, you know, 20 years ago, gay marriage was uh, not legal in a lot of states in, in America. Now it's just universally legal and everyone's, it's obvious that it should be legal. Yeah, uh, Like, the way that things progressed through human beings minds uh it's just so interesting to me and I think this was a really good example of it like the the thing the fact that the Nash should have obviously shot more the fact the Suns in general should have shot more threes the fact they should have played Stoudemire and Marion as the four and five like these things are just so clear to us now but all of us watched those teams and it wasn't nearly as clear to us then
0: yeah and they talk so much about that kind of glass ceiling throughout the pod if they did make a finals or or manage to win a title maybe what we currently see now would have Jump forward, you know, five or ten years, because you know it's a copycat league, and and so many. Uh, I think Bill mentions it, or maybe it was even Nash. Is kind of there would have been so many teams that would have been like, we don't have a dominant big man, so how can we win in the NBA? And that would have provided. The blueprint. I think you know, in retrospect, they were already providing the blueprint. But you know, people are pretty inflexible and and kind of hard-headed in the NBA. So you know, if you don't win a title, then it, it's not proving anything. So that was the biggest takeaway out of it. And then just Marion and and specifically, I thought the two mm-hmm. discussions on those guys were, were really interesting in in kind of how they would play in the modern NBA and just how good they were at the time. And we didn't probably give them their credit, particularly in wider NBA circles. You know, Marion, I had to take a look back. I just kind of had a note here to to ask you, can we talk about Sean Marion? Because, you know, nine seasons with Phoenix, 18.4 points per game, 10 rebounds, 48 from the field, 34 from three, two assists, 1.9 steals, and 1.4 blocks. That's like just your perfect modern nba player and i think the most he made in phoenix in a single year was 15 million dollars which is just crazy like obviously those numbers are skewed because this doesn't have the the kind of money that there is right now but you know a perfect way to illustrate that he was he was very very underrated throughout his
1: whole career absolutely perennially underrated player and if he were in this modern nba he'd be averaging like 24 points a game probably because of all the space and the running around and I think he'd be less underrated than this NBA, probably. Yep. I mean, could you think of a more perfect person to be at the four for us right now, David? I wish we could resurrect him. It, it would we put him be perfect. Four oh, man. So, but yeah, no, I, that jumped out to me, too. I think Sean Marion uh, is, you know, maybe the era of that uh, the player from that era doesn't get enough credit. But also, Stoudemire, Bill Simmons pointing out that he was second-team All-NBA like six times in that span and first-team All-NBA the other like that's amazing. I I mean, you know, we obviously know Amari Sodomai was great, but I think because we never won a title and because he ended up leaving us for New York because we didn't want to pay him. Yep. <laughs> uh, it, it kind of has given a bad light on his career compared to where it should be. Like he I think another thing on that Cody Hunt list, I think Sodomy, I can't remember where he had him, probably like six. He should probably be number three, right? Like he was insanely good for us. I, I totally
0: agree. And Marion's the easiest way to talk about this. You know, Marion eventually got a title. So like we were just talking yeah. about, like you win a title and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh yeah, he's a guy that really contributes to winning basketball. He finally won a title. Now, you know, what we saw in Phoenix has kind of worked out in Dallas. And, you know, I think Marion now, 10 years on, 15 years on, is talked about because of that title in Dallas more so than his kind of role with these seven seconds or less Suns. And I think Stoddermeyer would be similar if he, you know, say went on to New York and and won a title as ridiculous as that sounds with how New York have been in the last 20 years. But, you know, we would, I think he would get the credit that he was, you know, deserved. You know, all the talk about the pick and roll with Nash was really what fascinated me, particularly through the lens of, you know, thinking about the current Suns and and DeAndre Ayton. I just think we were so spoiled as Suns fans and we kind of just expect DeAndre Ayton to be dominant in the pick and roll because of what we saw in the past, but that was probably the most nuanced that they got to in the podcast between Nash and Simmons was just them talking about the pick and roll, and I thought there was some really interesting stuff with that. You know, I think the little de- details from Nash about the way that Stoudemire screened to make sure that yeah. the player went over. You know, the stuff that he noted about uh, Amari's you know basketball education coming yes. quite li- late like I didn't know he, he went to nine high schools before he, actually, he got yeah. drafted in the NBA like <laughs> that, it's just ridiculous like so again another parallel to DeAndre Ayton just you know I couldn't help but go there as I was listening to it and you know he mentioned that he wasn't making the right reads as a passer and things out of the pick and roll until like 2010 when he was essentially yep. a New York Knick which I just uh, I found that fascinating that the fact that that um, you know, pick and roll, that combo was so deadly, A, you know, because of all the little nuance that the both of them had together and the chemistry that they had together, but B, that Nash didn't think it was actually at its peak until, you know, Amari was essentially gone, both in, in you know, body, physically, and, and from the team.
1: Yeah, and I actually, I do recall that about Amari to a certain extent, that, that it was that 2010 season where we went to the Western Conference Finals. It was like the second half of the season. like After the All-Star break, he was like playing at an MVP level, Yeah, uh, and I think that's when it clicked for him, and that, and that was kind of the way uh, Nash phrased it. Like it clicked for him at some point, and it took a long time, and, I, and he did. Nash attributed the fact that it took so long to the fact that he had that late start with basketball. He didn't really start playing basketball until he was in high school, and didn't go to college at all, so his basketball education was severely stunted. Yep. Uh, as you as you said, and I think that yeah, it is very easy to jump to DeAndre Ayton there in terms of the parallels. Like they're not really similar players. Amari just always been aggressive as hell. Yes. Obviously, <laughs> but you know I think Ayton's probably already a better defender than Amari was. Like right now, if if, if what he's doing right now is going to be the way he plays for the rest, you know, if sustainable, yeah. then I think he's better. Yeah. Um. And that and that you know portends well for him overall as a player. Like maybe if he can if he can have that click moment sooner than Amari did, you know, within the next couple of seasons and maybe we're we're we'll out to see great things out of him. I, I certainly hope so.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, you can't listen to this podcast and not jump to that. It's it, it, mm-hmm. virtually impossible. I, I didn't want to do it and you know I still managed to to go there. Um I don't know what else you kind of had from the pod. I I think the last, you know, big discussion is probably, you know, as you <clears throat> alluded to before how perfect this team would have been in the modern NBA. But before we kind of jump to that, I'll, I'll just rattle off a few other things that I found funny. You know, Bill explaining true shooting percentage. Oh and, God. And explaining it was he explaining it <laughs> and, and usage percentage and, and even sliding doors. Like he felt like he had to explain to Nash what sl- the, t- the term sliding doors yes. mean. Like uh, I'm pretty sure Bill, everyone understands that uh, Nash made two pep, in his step references, which I just thought was hilarious because I just love that <laughs> that term. Uh, and I don't want to get into the depressing fact, but I didn't know or, or think back in retrospect about the, the Tim Donaghy being uh, the ref in one of those playoff games against the Spurs, which... Uh, oh, you yeah, didn't know that? No, like...
1: You need to go watch that YouTube video yeah. of the Game 3 calls against the Suns. They are... I've watched that video like four or five times. I'm a masochist. It's bad, dude. It's really bad. And a lot of them are Donnie.
0: Yeah, I don't don't think I want to do it. But yeah, I know about Donnie overall. I just didn't know where that kind of placed in history, I guess, before all of that came out. So that was another really interesting. uh,
1: The one call, sorry, real quick before you go on. The one call in particular, that they actually mentioned it. Bill Simmons said he went back and watched It was the one where Manu did not get fouled and they didn't call it except for like, until three seconds later, when they're already walking back up the court the other way, then they call it. Unbelievable! And it was Donahue, and it was it was unbelievable. It wasn't even it was a phantom call too. It was. That, I mean, I would go to my grave thinking he had money on this person that came in.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's it's not a good thought to have. So I'm not going to go there, but uh, I, I visibly or audibly laughed. I should say, because they bring up the winning streaks that I brought up in. Did you know earlier, which I thought was yep. funny. Cause I'd just written that segment before <laughs> uh, I listened to the pod. So that definitely made me
1: laugh. And it to also be clear though, David, they didn't mention that it was 17 or they lost. They in did SF. not. It was not, those were not fake knowledge. Uh, from me. Correct.
0: They did not. I think they just mentioned the, uh, combined 33 or 32 wins in a row of those two streaks so uh, yeah you were on the money there uh, and Bill spent a long long time uh, reading out positive Suns quotes which I just thought was hilarious because he's mm-hmm. clearly uh, knows that Phoenix fans don't love him for his Devin Booker takes and, and recent stuff so it almost felt like he was going above and beyond to kind of prove that at one point in time, he he gushed over the Phoenix Suns, Max.
1: He was actually really close to our organization. I remember, I don't remember which year it was, but one of our playoff wins we had, it might have been 2007. He, or no, maybe it was 2010. He actually like went out to dinner with the team afterwards. Wow. Because uh, he and Ker- Steve Kerr were buddies. Uh, that's when Steve here was the GM. So yeah, I think it was 2010. But yeah, know, he actually used to have a kind of a relationship with the Suns. Yeah. It's fallen off since then.
0: <laughs> it has, and maybe that's why we, we don't get the, the rub of the green as much. But uh, he was also very positive of Steve Kerr in the pod, so that checks out. I didn't know yeah. that that little connection. But uh, not that I think it's a, a, a fake opinion. I think Steve Kerr was one of the best kind of color commentators in the NBA before oh, yeah, he, sure. he joined teams. So uh, a, a good point by Bill. But did you have anything else you, you wanted to touch on there? Uh, you know, I think we've kind of covered most of it.
1: No, I, I wanted to uh, just jump on the back of that Steve Kerr point. They, they played uh, some audio a couple of times during the podcast. Yes. The one the one of Steve Kerr talking about, you know, this is like the moment they need to have the mental toughness to overcome, like all contenders have. Like that was just a fantastic, fantastic speech by him. Yep. And you, there's nothing like that in the current announcing on in any sport. There's no one's at that level. So I think uh, Bill, Bill may have chose that quote for a reason because it backed up his point that Steve Kerr is the best color lesson in the history of basketball yeah you you
0: don't get that from Chris Webber or or Reggie Miller or or Mark Jackson (laughs) imagine Chris Webber trying to say
1: that
0: (laughs) yeah but I I think we could probably end it there don't want to get too depressing but you know they were probably just missing one piece particularly if they kind of really lent into the way that they were playing because yeah stat at the five Marion at the four Raja Bell and Nash as the guards Barbosa as your sixth man Uh, As they note on the pod, that you know, Kurt Thomas was probably a good third big. Uh, James Jones was kind of their sharpshooter, and they were kind of just missing, you know, one or two pieces there. Max,
1: I think for some reason James Jones looked back on in history like he was like a real like rotation player. He kind of sucked, David. I don't know if you remember that or not. James Jones wasn't very good. There there
0: was a stretch where he was good, particularly you know that he could be relied upon. But yeah, I think uh, again. To touch off the Marion point before, all those championships that he he went on to win, I think uh, retrospectively we we maybe talk about him being a little bit better than what he was, Max.
1: Yeah, and he really wasn't, I mean, I don't think it's a hot take to say he probably wasn't a major factor in those championship wins. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he even played in the playoffs in a lot of them, so yeah. One of those things where you get some shine from the winning that you may not deserve, but yeah, I, I'm good. To, uh, again, everyone should go listen to the podcast. It's fantastic. Definitely. Uh, you have anything else on it or are we good to go on to a seven seconds or less? I
0: think we are good to finish off this seven seconds or less love fest
1: by going into our uh, segment named after it, Max. Let's do it. I think it is your turn to ask me the three questions for which I'll have seven seconds or or less to answer, and for which I have not prepared. It is. I'm going to try and take all the themes from this show and round things out to end
0: the pod, Max. So working our way backwards through the pod, I'll start with the seven seconds or less suns. We mentioned how the suns are just a little thin right now, so you can take one seven seconds or less sun from the non-NASH stat Marion category. Who do you add and why?
1: Mm, that is such a good question Ah man i think it's so i it would be grant hill if we didn't have already so many wings so it's hard to take him you know can i can i make this player actually give give a crap and and uh work out and like try hard yeah you're
0: you're the coach so you're you're in control of that
1: then it's Boris Dia. Ooh. I think Boris Diaw would be wonderful on this team if he was uh, at his top form. Love it. He would fit this system perfectly. So, yeah,
0: a great, great choice. Uh, I'd take Raja Bell just because I love Raja and they could do with e- in enforcer, yep. backup shooting guard. Uh, question two, all-stars. When their careers are all said and done, how many all-stars for Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and will any other current son get an all-star nod in their career, Max?
1: Wow. Wow. Interesting question. Uh, I will say Devin Booker will have ten All Star appearances. Um, I think DeAndre Ayton will have. I'll go with one. I think I, I. I. I hate to sound down on him. I just think that he's not going to be the kind of player who gets all consideration. I think it is prime. If he's really good, he'll be more of a defensive guy. Yeah. And look at Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert's like begging to get into the game. Yeah. And he's <laughs> the best defender in the league. Uh, and then no one else, probably not. Besides Jalen LeCue, he'll have 12.
0: <laughs> Question three: <laughs> Current Suns. Tankathon has the Suns in slot 12 right now with a 1.7% chance at pick one, but only a few slots away from a much higher percentage. And 538 gives us a 7% chance. At The playoffs max, which
1: feels more
0: likely right here, right now?
1: Well, that will be in the playoffs or, or that will get a top pick, or which one is this number one pick or in the playoffs? Oh, number one pick. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I mean, maybe I'm just a sucker, uh, but I'll still say playoffs. <laughs> I mean, they're not that far out, they've played horribly, they're, they've you know, they've got to be able to play better than this especially now that they're finally healthy and they're starting to figure the rotation out a little bit. So I'll say playoffs, but I'm not particularly confident in either of those things right now, David. Yeah, I think you
0: asked me last week and I was very confident. We went on to lose two more games and it, it kind of slipped away. So uh, I wanted to make sure that we keep regularly coming back to that question in in some way, shape or form, because I think it's uh, apt with, with where we sit right here, right now, Max.
1: And hopefully it sticks to be a possibility throughout the rest of the season, because that'd be depressing <laughs> if we pull out of it. Entirely. But that is it for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me at MaxMCC11 on Twitter. You can follow David at the 4 Point Play on Twitter. David, anything else?
0: Nothing to add. No reviews this week, so chuck us one and you'll definitely get read out next week, guys. But Max, next up, as we've said, Charlotte today. Then we go on a little mini road trip at Atlanta, at New York, and at Boston probably before we get a chance to record, so four games this week. I would
1: say, uh, what's your prediction, Max? Off the top of your head, God, they should win these t- games, right? I'm gonna go three and one. I'm a dummy. Yep, love it. All right, that is it for us. Thanks, everybody.